Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Loki is back for more mischief in season two. What do I think of the first few episodes? I give you my thoughts right now. This video is brought to you by ExpressVPN. Go to expressvpn.com slash Merle to see how you can get three months free and stay tuned after this video for more info. Hello everybody and welcome to my non-spoiler review of the first four episodes of Loki season two. It is a six episode season, so yes, I am gonna be talking about the first two thirds of the season, but don't worry, I will not be going into plot specifics. There will be no spoilers, except for my general thoughts about what I've seen so far. If you consider that to be a spoiler, then you might wanna click out of this review altogether until you've seen those episodes. Loki has undergone some changes and I'm not just talking about on screen for season two, almost the entire creation creative team behind the camera has also changed over between seasons. Season one and series creator Michael Waldron is now writing MCU movies. The director for all six episodes of season one, Kate Heron, opted not to return to the show. And of the season one writing staff, only Eric Martin is returning as he takes on head writer duties and wrote or co-wrote every episode this season. Spearheading the directing team in the second season are Synchronics Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, who also took on two episodes of the MCU. Moon Knight. It's been a little less than two and a half years, believe it or not, since the first season of Loki wrapped up, but it feels like we were in a completely different era of the MCU back in that first season. It was an era of great anticipation because keep in mind the first season of Loki ended the week after Black Widow came out in theaters. That was the first Marvel movie to release after the COVID-19 pandemic shut down theaters. Of course, Quantumania was still ahead. Spider-Man No Way Home was still ahead. There was so much that was unknown. And now it feels like about two and a half years later, that Loki in many ways is being asked to redeem the MCU or carry the banner after a string of disappointments, financially, creatively, critically, or a combination of all three. Of course, the expectation of lifting up and redeeming an entire cinematic universe is probably an unfair one to put on one season of television, but if the stakes are going to be that high, well, then it doesn't really bring me a whole lot of pleasure to say that through the first four episodes of season two, while Loki does not fail those expectations, it also doesn't really meet them either. A lot of season two of Loki operates on that level of okayness that we've seen from the Marvel Cinematic Universe in the last couple of years, but it's bolstered by a fantastic cast, both returning and new. On the plus side, we have the duo of Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson. Whenever Loki is done, these two just need to team up and make movies together forever because the relationship between Loki and Mobius is as funny and sharp as it was in season one. I had feared that the season one finale twist of throwing Loki into some indeterminate time where it seems like Kang is ruling over everything and Mobius doesn't know who he is would have kept these two apart. But I think that the writers of this season understood that as much as they wanted to change things, up that Mobius-Loki relationship is in many ways the core 
of the series, and so they don't keep them apart for very long. They are able to mix up the dynamic. It doesn't feel like a retread, but these are two actors in Owen Wilson and Tom Hiddleston that just have a natural chemistry, and that does continue from season one to season two. Kihui Kwan is also a great addition to the cast as Ouroboros, or OB, the TVA's resident handyman who operates out of an office so remote that some TVA employees go hundreds of years without even setting foot in it. OB is mostly a comedic character which plays to Kihui Kwan's experience as a younger actor, but the character is also the only one who knows just how bad things can get now that timelines are branching and multiplying out of control, and OB often acts as the harbinger of doom. And it's the mixture of drama and comedy that is a big reason why Kihi Kwan has an Oscar sitting on his shelf right now. He was a really good choice for this character because OB is, yes, comic relief, but you also have to have a character that can explain how and why the temporal vortex that might be forming could swallow humanity, but also do it in a way that is so deadpan that you're laughing, but you also get the gravity of what's going on. It's not necessarily an easy balance to strike. I don't know if this character was written specifically for Kihi Kwan, but he performs the role as if it was. Sofia DiMartino's Sylvie emerged as a standout character in season one, but thus far in season two, I think she gets the short end of the stick. Sylvie's decision to kill He Who Remains at the end of season one obviously weighs on her, but through four episodes, she's stuck in a constant cycle of being alternately angry at Loki, angry at the idea of more variants of He Who Remains, and, well, just plain angry. Her past and her backstory with Loki, her conflict with him, were so much of what made season one work. And for season two, I feel like that she's been made into some sort of a fancy MacGuffin. It's like they just don't quite know what to do with her. She's a one-dimensional character, and a lot of that depth that I hope that maybe we could explore in the second season kind of gets pushed to the margins. There's a scene or two where we get a little bit of a glimpse of it, but she's mostly just kind of in one place for these first four episodes. I hope that these final two episodes really give her some time to shine and give her more to do. It should also be noted that at one point, Sylvie travels to the past and works at a McDonald's. Now, this was apparently dreamed up before McDonald's officially signed on, but it's also very apparent that they ponied up a lot of money to be a promotional partner. And look, it's one thing to have a plot point where Sylvie works at a McDonald's as a joke. That's, you know, kind of a funny joke. But it's another thing to have Mobius singing the praises of McDonald's apple pies and milkshakes while everything else is going on. And now here we are, enjoying a meal like gentlemen. You slap me in the face, I'm not gonna I got you a shake. Okay. I'm not complaining if I get some apple pie. It is one of the more obvious promotional tie-ins, even in a world where all of the characters decided overnight to start eating different versions of Lay's potato chips. This is even more in your face. And there are some signs in the second season that there were some budget cuts from season one to season two. There are a lot of repeated sets. Some of these episodes almost feel like bottle episodes inside of the TVA. And then you add the over-the-top promotional placement, you would think that the MCU is past this sort of thing, but, you know, their fortunes have changed at the box office recently. The streaming division isn't making as much money as Disney thought they would, so it does seem like we are officially in the era of belt tightening and budget crunching for the MCU. I'm not saying it's not necessary, but it is a little jarring. The rest of the supporting cast, including Gugu Mbatha-Ra as Renslayer, Wunmi Musako as Hunter B-15, and Raphael Casal as Hunter X-5, who was just over in 
another part of the TVA in season one, all served their functions, but also don't get much to do in this first two thirds of the season, apart from one great interrogation scene featuring X5 and Loki, which really does go back to the characters scheming and nefarious roots. You get a little bit of old school Loki in this season, and I like that. And then we have Jonathan Majors, who does turn up as a variant of He Who Remains, the one that is seen in the post-credits of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. And for me, the performance that he's done so far in season two, it just doesn't work. I didn't really love him as He Who Remains at the end of Loki season one. I liked him as Kang the Conqueror in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, but this, out of his three performances so far, is the one that works for me the least. As a 19th century scientist, I think Majors is trying to do some sort of an old-timey whimsy, but I found it to be overly affected, way too broad, almost experimentally theatrical, and I thought his performance undercut and overshadowed everything that was supposed to be happening in his scenes. Again, there are two episodes left and a multiverse of possibilities, but given the fact that two out of his three performances have sort of left me cold, the off-screen things that are obviously still pending with Jonathan Majors, and the fact that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania was a disappointment both at the box office and critically, I'm really starting to think that Marvel's decision to make Kang the Conqueror the next MCU big bad might be in jeopardy. Could we see the studio backtrack? I think that the reaction to Jonathan Major's performance in this season is one aspect that may be very critical in the future of this character. Now, as I mentioned, Disney sent four out of the six episodes of season two for review, and I will say that where we left off on episode four does promise a really interesting direction. It takes a genuinely unexpected turn that I didn't see coming, and I think that there is a lot of potential, which is why I'm not passing judgment on the season as a whole. This is just as I see it so far. I think the goal maybe was to have Majors come in and carry episodes three and four, but because I felt that his performance fell completely flat, that means that essentially the second act of this entire season fell flat for me. And just from a plot standpoint, I really do feel like that where we are in episode four is where we could have been at the end of episode two, depending on what they're going to do in these last two episodes. It does seem like there's a lot to accomplish in episodes five and six, but the last two episodes of the first season of Loki were very epic and did accomplish a lot, and I think we're able to close the season out on a satisfactory note. So it's still very much TBD what's going to happen with the rest of this season. It is my sincere hope that these last two episodes are great because I like this cast, I like the show, I don't want it to be disappointing to anybody, most of all me, because I really enjoy the MCU. Still, despite the underwhelming output lately, I still like the MCU quite a bit. But if the hope was for Loki to swoop in and use some of his Asgardian powers to revive that MCU magic, then for me, my hope is that he's saving his best tricks for last. Through four episodes, I'm giving Loki season two a tentative grade of it's fine with the caveat that a great final two episodes would significantly change my feelings. Loki premieres at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Thursday night, so it's not a very long wait for you all to catch that first episode of Loki and start going down this path, and I will certainly be there re-watching and also waiting for these past couple episodes. Let me know what you're looking forward to most in the comments below, and before we go, I want to thank the sponsor for this review, ExpressVPN. Think about this, the same company that you buy your Blu-rays from also sells a microphone that goes in your house, and one company runs your email service and is also in charge of how you search online. 
Now you can put a layer of protection between you and these huge companies with ExpressVPN. When you consider how much time you're on the internet, you should also consider that every site, view, and message is a piece of data that can be tracked and mined, but with ExpressVPN, your IP address is hidden, which means that it's much harder to track what you do and sell your data to advertisers. ExpressVPN also encrypts all of your data to keep you safe from hackers and other jerks, and it's the number one rated service by CNET, Wired, and others. If my computer is on, I have ExpressVPN on, if only for the peace of mind that my activity isn't being tracked and stored and my identity is safe from people who might be looking to steal it. ExpressVPN's interface is so simple, just download the app and with one press of a button, your IP address is shielded and your online activity is protected. So stop handing over your personal data to the big tech monopoly that mines your activity and sells your information. Protect yourself with the VPN I trust to keep me safe online. Visit expressvpn.com slash Merle. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash Merle to get three extra months free. Go to expressvpn.com slash Merle right now to learn more. Thank you to ExpressVPN for sponsoring this review and thank you for watching. I'll be back later today with Charts with Dan and later this week for more movie news, reviews, box office, and more. Until next time, stay safe and I'll see you then. Bye. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.